Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. A good example is Chick-fil-A. You know, they have made their Christian beliefs incredibly overheard. They're not afraid of what people are going to think of them as a result. Another good example is Urban Outfitters. Brands today have to have a strong opinion. They cannot be afraid to offend. If people are not hating you, you're not in the game. Today, hate is a status symbol. So says our guest, the author of bestseller The Kim Kardashian Principle, which extra called the love child of TMZ and The Economist. The new rules of celebrity in the era of social media. Stay with us. This week's broadcast of Full Disclosure made possible by my good friends at Elwood Thompson. Since 1989, located at the top of Carytown, really the best market in Richmond. Customer empowerment, non-GMO, no advertising to children, locally made and prepared foods, healthy oils. You have a food advocate there. You have a health coach. You have Rick and Molly Hood. You have Indian Wednesdays and the third Thursday pairings menus. You must check them at the corner of Elwoods and Thompson's, hence the name, and at elwoodthompsons.com. Joining us from London, Jatendra Sadev, celeb branding expert who authored the New York Times bestseller, The Kim Kardashian Principle. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Are you officially a sir? I mean, we're united. Do you have any of these, you know, titles, dame, whatnot? I, I don't know. I mean, that's your bailiwick. That's your Provence. I'm not united. I don't know whether I'm in the British good books to actually be united. Maybe I've spent too much time in the States to be united now. Well, in the interest of full disclosure and the gist of your uh, book, I'd like to know, are you exposing any side boob right now? Is there is there <laughs> anything else that's non-toward that our listeners should know about? God, I don't have a side boob. No, absolutely not. Never. That will never happen. Jatendra, you are intensely followed on the Twitters. You've gotten a ton of great press on this book. Uh, from Variety, from Us Weekly, uh, the Times of the UK, the world's leading authority on celebrity, the best in the business, Hollywood's new phenom, the love child of TMZ and The Economist, says Isn't Extra. That I do like that. I mean, that's a great hook. Put that on your <laughs> business card or your LinkedIn influencer profile. Where where did you get this idea? Because I look at your bio. You're an Oxford person. You're a Harvard Business School graduate, uh, a businessman, a person who's had experience with the United Nations, sober stuff, and yet this would at first blush strike you as a, a treatise on the frivolous. You know, I think that's part of the appeal. You know, I think there are lots of people who have different dimensions to their personalities and want to express different aspects of themselves. So, you know, I have from a very young age always been interested in the arts and the sciences, in the substantial and the superficial in low culture and high culture. And that's very much what my work is about, you know, bringing together two very disparate worlds and putting them together. I mean, oftentimes people don't think of celebrity um, when they think of analytics and, you know, kind of substantial research around them. So, um, you know, it's sort of it's sort of what I'm about and what kind of gets me off in a way. So uh, speaking of which, I mean, Jesus Christ, you set <laughs> that yourself probably up. not the best, sorry, use of the term or even the best descriptor. But, Let's know, go back to the inception yeah. of this then. The Kim Kardashian sex tape goes back to when? 2002, yes? Yes. How in the world uh, did that happen? Was was there premeditation to it? I mean, it's certainly a postmodern, surreal thing for a couple to kind of have that leaked out in the detail that it did. And then moreover, for a family to parlay a $100 million plus industry around this, kind of spawning all other figures and reality series and modeling contracts and, and, and you know, Twitter influencer money. How in the world did this happen? 
It's a really good question. You know, I think that the first thing to clarify, um, and one of the reasons, um, that one of the many reasons why I wanted to write the book was that Kim Kardashian did not become famous because of her sex tape. Only if it was because of her sex tape, I think three quarters of Hollywood would be as famous and as successful as her now. So um, I think we like to think there are easy and sort of, you know, simple solutions to Kim's rise to fame. But the reality of the situation is, is that you have to read the book in order to really understand how she's broken through. You know, that's very much what the book is about. And um, and it's not really because of the sex tape. It's because of so many other things that she's done. You know, she's earned her status as um, one of the most successful and famous women in the world. And, um, and you know, and hats off to her. She has redefined so many different um, you know, so many different things that we would have otherwise taken as being norm in Hollywood. Now, your book came out in March. So tease us through that. Walk us through it. Some yes. Of the things so you did I do. essentially, um, you know, I essentially have this framework called the selfie framework and um, S-E-L-F-I-E. And these are kind of the six rules that Kim has abided by and the same rules that any individual or idea or enterprise can also use in order to break through in today's changing times. And um, essentially, you know, S is for surprise. You know, Kim has really owned her uniqueness. Her Armenian heritage has not necessarily put her on the Hollywood hot list. And yet she's really embraced that. She's embraced her unique body shape. She's embraced her unique look. And she's exacerbated it. She's amplified it in order to break through and redefine what we consider to be a sex symbol in mainstream media. And, you know, E is for expose, how Kim has overexposed herself, not for other people, but for herself. You know, she has um, embraced the fact that hate is a status symbol. And, um, you know, and without hate, you don't actually, you're not in the game. You don't actually have an opinion. So she's gone up against, you know, that sort of grain and sort of ideas like that, really, you know, counterintuitive ideas, things that we've been told not to do, things that we've been told make us seem bad or not desirable, the things that Kim has actually done and redefined what desirability and what, you know, what being um, famous is all about. And you in, within Selfie, you talked about the second rule is exposure. If people do want to connect today, if brands want to connect today, they have to be overexposed. They can't only be transparent to a certain degree. They have to show everything, have an extreme level of honesty. Um, now, you know, I, I struggle with that when I look at Kim Kardashian. Yes, her body type is her body type. And the sex tape came out and she embraced the entire family and the entire saga and hyper transparency with the reality series. But you know, and I cringe while I say this, this is a person who's had tremendous amount of plastic surgery done. It's not like she's really putting it all out there for you to see her in her non-makeup splendor. There's been enormous heavy lifting on the on the plastic surgery front and a, a lot of corporate dictation as to what's going on right now. She has handlers. This is not just a person with a webcam and, and not wearing any makeup. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I don't think that And um, when we talk about the power of authenticity, when I talk about it in the book, um, I don't think that um, I'm referring to whether somebody has had surgery done or whether they haven't had surgery done or whatever Kim's stance is on that. What I'm talking about is how much celebrities today are allowing people in on their lives. And Kim has very much been a pioneer on that front. You know, she has allowed us in on the social media space. She's allowed us in on reality TV. She's experimented with her brands through, um, you know, gaming apps and all sorts of different brand extensions. And relative to other celebrities. I mean, if you think about the traditional celebrity way back when, 
we'd get an interview maybe once or twice a year with Oprah Winfrey. The image would be incredibly curated. They would be told how to dress, how to act, you know, the, you know, told what to say. All those sorts of kind of contrived messaging is now out. And what audiences want is to see the real person and decide whether they want to follow them or not. And so then talk to me about this uh, Pepsi misadventure. Uh, with Kendall Jenner that everybody is talking about. And you must have gotten press queries left and right at the beginning of April uh, when Kendall Jenner appeared in that Pepsi ad where she was a protester eventually solving America's police brutality problem by handing a cop a can of Pepsi. A can of Pepsi and the world is all good. And that was what was actually missing from um, the United Airlines um, solution. You know, I think a can of Pepsi should have just been handed to everyone, and things would have been good. No, but in all seriousness, she is an offshoot of the Kardashian enterprise. I mean, she's related to Kim Kardashian. She's been enormously successful as a model. I want to kind of understand the corporate group think that came together. You have a huge multinational in Pepsi uh, with its own in-house studio. The amount of diffusion of responsibility and cluelessness, I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about this, the, the lack of self-awareness to kind of finally pull the trigger on something like that, for it to go through compliance and creative, and uh, Indra Nui must have seen it herself. And then on top of that, uh, Kendall Jenner, who has her own reputation to uphold, uh, who, who you know does not want it to cross-contaminate her brand. How in the world did that happen? <laughs> You know, I think that that responsibility lies firmly with Pepsi. I think that the reason why that was such a disaster was because Pepsi was trying to own a conversation, um, you know, own a movement that was not theirs to own, that they had not proven to audiences around the world that they particularly cared for, let alone were, champ were able to champion. You know, it's not the first time we've, we've seen um, a disastrous campaign like that. A couple of years ago, we saw Starbucks trying to own the race relations conversation in the States. You know, they said that they would, America needed a conversation on race. They need an open conversation on race and that we were going to start writing hashtag race together on all of our coffee cups. And that's essentially what ended up happening with Starbucks as well. There was this massive backlash saying that, you know, you're trying to capitalize, you're trying Case to- Case in point, Jatendra, they're trying too hard. And it's a corporation trying. trying, right? You don't have to be- Yeah. This is, there isn't, there isn't any subtlety to this. You see that there's a, cor a th huge corporate imprimatur behind it. They don't have Confederates doing it. I mean, there's a press release that went out after all. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they were trying too hard. I mean, you know, you brands today have to be very careful. Brands want to tap into the culture. They want to become more culturally relevant. They want to start spontaneously emerging within culture by looking at what conversations are occurring, what, what are the hot buttons. But today, audiences are calling their bluff, you know, and they're standing up and going, wait, you know, you're actually trying to capitalize on an issue that you really don't have a right talking about. Um, that's not to say that not all brands have earned the right to talk about certain issues. It's just that Pepsi and Starbucks hadn't earned the right to talk about the issues they tried to jump on. We're talking to Jachendra Sadev. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Kim Kardashian Principle, which is being talked about left and right in the wake of the Kendall Jenner Pepsi incident. And the fact that we have a reality show star who's president of the free world in the United States right now. Oh, my gosh. I do have to ask you, are you a, are you a hot mess or a fire crotch? 
my God, what is uh, neither hopefully? I mean, what what is? Well, what these are these are things and, and side bay and other things that I notice on the celeb watching sites. I mean, which have completely supplanted People magazine or Entertainment Tonight. I go to the superficial. I go to Mo Jackson. There used to be Gawker, and I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. They're, they, you know, they they're like a there's a celeb cellulite scene or there's a scene of somebody seen with somebody else. I mean, uh, you don't know if people are being spied on or if this is. Uh, something that's intentional, that they're leaking themselves out to the paps uh, to get photos out there. And so, you know, me as a as, a, as an older suburban father, I'm now uh, 40-something, you know, I'd, I'd like to see how the generations are consuming celebrity influence. So uh, it's... it's uh, and how your kids are going to be thinking. Yeah, let's not get my too. kids into this because this is terrifying. <laughs> but it's, it's nice that you don't even know what I'm talking about, that there's a level of kind of 20-something discourse right now that's even beyond the mind of, of, of the greatest celeb branding expert out there right now. You know what? It's, uh, you know, just to, I think it's really inspiring that um, newer gen- younger generations, Generation Z, millennials, are defining what they find important in celebrity. They're redefining what celebrity means. And there's so much to learn from them. So as much as it is different and as much as it might be frightening, it's a new world order that they're kind of taking charge and leading the way. And that is very encouraging. Uh, do you have a side bay? <laughs> My God, all these terms. Catch me outside. How about that? <laughs> I'm trying to run as many of them by you. Listen, we've now had a good 15 years of internet memes. There was William Hung. There was the you know the guy crying about Britney, leave her alone. There was uh, um, uh, gosh. Oh, I get it. Is that a side bay? Yes, I remember. A that side guy. bay. Wow. Now you know. Gosh, I got to put you on a hot seat on a future episode. Talk to me, please, about um, uh, you know l- characters that were the hot button people. Say going back into the 1980s, Madonna. Uh, you know, I, I saw this story in the Independent that now she's become a quote toxic figure for millennials, according that to was my story. Yeah, so I, I want to kind of get that because she was the bee's knees. There I go using a 1950s and 1960s term, right? Uh, in the 1980s, and you would think that somebody like a uh, Lady Gaga has completely supplanted her now. Well, firstly, is Madonna still alive? She is. Okay, brilliant. Um, she has survived in that case into 2017 because I know a lot of her peers were kind of dying off with George Michael and every with David Bowie and everyone else. Don't be cruel, but anyhow, sir. Don't so be I'm cruel. Glad, I'm glad that she's still around. She uh, is. I was actually being sarcastic, Robin. <laughs> 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 All right. You know, I think that those 1980s old school shock tactics that worked in the 80s are no longer working. So. Madonna has not got that memo, unfortunately. And I think that's why these sort of, you know, old school iconic brands are losing their relevance amongst younger generations. You know, millennials, Generation Z, they're not easily shocked. They've seen everything um, run the gauntlet on, you know, on the internet. There are these increasingly disturbing videos that many of them engage with and watch from people snapping their arms when they're arm wrestling all the way through to horrendous things that I actually talk about in the book. But, um, you know, shock tactics aren't really working anymore, um, you know, especially if they're deliberate. So you've got to be careful. You know, if you truly are about, um, you know, pushing the envelope, then you have to genuinely believe that. You can't just be doing that for the cameras in order to attempt to sell records. Now, how does this translate over where you see a, you know, I, I follow someone, um, Marquise Brownlee. 
who's an internet tech star. I mean, it might not be on your radar, but he is much more generationally relevant from from product reviews to younger people than, say, a Walter Mossberg is or a legacy writer from the Wall Street Journal or from uh, one of the big publications. He sent all of this swag from Apple and Samsung. Tesla lets him you know, round trip these cars and post the stuff on YouTube. And it's really person to person, peer to peer. Um, how in the world do brands get their arms around this? Because there are they are still the incumbents. They have the billions of dollars of marketing spend. They're pulling away from many of these ad agencies on record and they want to get money and stature behind uh, people like Kendall Jenner, but they don't want to botch it like Pepsi Kendall Jenner did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that the cultural element for the larger brands uh, is really challenging. You know, it is an entirely different world with entirely different rules. And that's why some of the biggest CMOs in the world are still struggling to connect with millennials and Generation Z. There are a couple of things that brands can do. One, they've got to start taking bigger risks. It is more of a risk not to take the risk than it is to take the risk. Give me an example. Well, if you don't take a risk on bringing on an influencer or trying different ways, you're going to run into a situation where you people become indifferent to you. So let's look at the brand SoulCycle. SoulCycle is not a spin class. It is a spiritual experience. And there are as many people who love it and are willing to pay $35 plus or however much it costs to actually go to a class. Then there are people who think Soulies are cuckoo and they don't want anything to do with the class or the brand. And that's okay today. You know, today brands that are looking to cater to the lowest common denominator, that are looking to be indifferent, that are looking to not offend anyone, are running a really big risk of not resonating with anyone. Another good example is Chick-fil-A. You know, they have made their Christian beliefs um, you know, incredibly overheard. And they're not afraid of those. They're not afraid of what people are going to think of them as a result. Another good example is Urban Outfitters. Brands today have to have a strong opinion. They cannot be afraid to offend. If you don't, if, you know, if people are not hating you, you're not in the game. You don't have a strong enough opinion. Today, hate is a status symbol. So Pepsi is not being hated for this as much as ridiculed? Well, Pepsi is being ridiculed. I mean, that Pepsi situation is very different. Pepsi has um, inauthentically tried to jump on a cause that they don't really have a right to own. That's a very different story. Those brands will be caught out. Other brands that truly believe in a, a position, truly have a perspective on life, and are not afraid to voice it, regardless of whether somebody disagrees or agrees on them, are in a very different category. Those are brands that are considered to be authentic. Well, let's take an apples to apples example. You talk about carbonated beverages. The one that's winning by bounds is LaCroix water, and they hardly advertise. It just happened to be there. It just happened to look dated, and it, it caught up with the times. And every younger person I see at a cafe right now who does drink soda water, drinks LaCroix grapefruit water. They don't do this advertising. They don't have to contort and torture themselves to get a Kendall Jenner. You could kind of just opt out and sit out of this entire game. You, but you're saying that Absolutely. if you do do that, you're going to you're going you might wither at the vine. If you're if you're not offending or if you're not on the radar, if you're not overexposed, you're irrelevant. No, no, no. What I'm saying is this. That I say absolutely to the fact that you don't need to opt into using a celebrity to promote your brand. 
brand. And as a matter of fact, there are no clear statistics showing that celebrity advertising drives more sales than non-celebrity advertising until today. Um, But what I think is necessary is regardless of whether you're a small brand or a large brand, you have to have a point of view. You have to stand for something and you have to believe it yourself because if you don't believe it yourself, others are not going to believe it. Millennials, generations, you have very finely tuned authenticity detectors. They've been raised around brands saying all the right things, people wearing all the right clothes and then being caught behind doors doing something very different. So the distrust is very high today. Jatendra Sadev, I'd like to talk about you and believing in yourself. Uh, when did you have your when did you have your inception point? Uh, when did you realize that you were onto something? Uh, tell me about yourself biographically, where you were born, where you were raised, uh, the various epiphanies you had, you know, all the usual LinkedIn titles. Yeah. I was born in Bristol, England, um, which is the fourth largest city in England. And I was born in, born in a very British culture. I went to a buttoned up all boys private school um, where there were clear rights and wrongs. Um, and it was only until I went on a trip to Los Angeles when I was 11. My dad took me on a trip to Los Angeles when I was 11, and I was obsessed with it. And ever since then, I wanted to make my way back to Los Angeles. I managed to do that in my early 20s. But really, um, Hollywood to me was an amazing transformation because um, I saw things that I was otherwise told were were um, were things you know were things not to do or that were were things that good people didn't do and I saw those people actually expressing themselves and doing those things and being successful at it so it was a massive mind shift and a very similar mind shift to what people need today in order to connect to this younger generation you know good and bad right and wrong. Um, are all being thrown up back in the air. And those sorts of definitions are for you personally to decide now. Now, I have, I told you uh, offline that I have my, the majority of my family in Los Angeles, they call it Erangelis, Terangelis. Um, I hope they're not listening to this because there's a lot about SoCal that's really <laughs> off-putting to me. Um, you know, I get off at LAX, I go to the In-N-Out Burger, I, I, I take it in for as long as I can, but people there overwhelmingly, at least in the circles that I ran in, I mean, are, are, are just obsessed with wealth accumulation and material absorption and celebrity and people who are seen. And, you know, I have a cousin who lives in one of the Kardashians' old homes from the 1990s who tells everybody about that. And yeah. um, it, I, I, I don't quite understand what captivated you about it. Were there certain heroes that you had in Hollywood, in the music industry growing up in the U.K.? I think the psychology of um, Los Angeles captivated me more than any one particular person. And that exact, that exact thing, you know, people's fascination with celebrity, with fame, um, you know, their over-transparency when it came to, you know, the wealth they had. That was such a contrast to the British culture where, you know, even if you do have a lot of money, that's the last thing you talk about. Um, so um, I think it was more less about, you know, any one particular um, celebrity, although I was raised around all the kind of 80s and 90s typical um, stars, thanks to my sis, my elder sister, you know, all the way from Duran Duran to Michael Jackson to Britney to all the major, um, major stars. But yeah, no, LA is a fascinating place, there is no doubt. But what's interesting, Robin, is that 
um, and I don't even think I'm still pronouncing it correctly. Oh, that's is correct. That, it's beautiful, especially in your accent. Is it? Yes, yeah, say it Thank again. So <laughs> say it again so the world can hear me. And, Robin. you know, I only, I have less than 7,000 Twitter followers. I'm you nowhere near. to Robin Farzad. Robin Farzad. Sir Robin Farzad. I forgot what I was going to say now. It's fine. Just say my name again. Say it again. Tweet me out. (laughs) Tweet me out. Get me some tweetage here. (laughs) I'll tweet you out. Don't worry about that. I'm struggling, my man. I'm a a media dinosaur. You know, I was last relevant a good 10 years ago where I wrote for a print magazine. And now, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm a squirrel looking for a nut. But you've got a new book coming out. I do, yes. Plug, plug away. Talk to me about it. I'm going to take you on tour. In fact, you know, in fact, I'm going to have you read the, I'm going to have you read the audio book. You have such a great accent. I mean, you should, you should, you should issue IP rights to your accent alone. But I digress as I normally do. Jatendra Sedev, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Kim Kardashian Principle, is joining us from London, where he has so far resisted the urge to use the word bollocks. um, No bollocks, no wankers. And I have yet to be invited to the palace by the queen. You shall be knighted at some point. What are some other titles? There's sir. I'm just liberally calling you sir. You're not an official sir, are you? Not yet. No, I'm not an official sir. <laughs> and you know what? A sir puts me in a particular old school box that I don't I don't necessarily buy by. You know, David Beckham was causing a bit of a fuss because he hadn't been knighted and he wanted to be knighted. His emails got leaked. Well, then you tell me this. Let me turn it around. Yes. How does celebrity feel to you? You have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Um, you never even talked about your experience at Harvard Business School, where we were taught, you know, standard branding things. Um, you know, the, the four P's. What well, I don't even remember. Was it the four P's we of marketing? We were taught at Harvard Business School to wear khaki pants and blue sh- blue shirts. And um, and to, no, I'm I'm teasing. You didn't laugh. I had nothing more to say at that point. <laughs> but it's nice. It's nice to have. I mean, obviously, I you know, I love my following. Um, I thank you, everyone, for buying my book. Um, yeah, I mean, it's great. It's, you know, it wasn't something deliberate. It was something that I did over a long period of time. So, yeah, I mean, I think social media is the future. But, I mean, it is really amazing. You 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 could hire a PR firm. You do have a publisher in St. Martin's Press. But this is the part, you know, in the, in the nine or ten minutes or so that we have left is – and it goes back to the long tail – uh, you know, phenomenon in, in, in Mr. Anderson's book 10 years ago, which was pivotal and, and kind of foreshadowed a lot of the fracturing of uh, the media conglomerates around the world. Celebs can hang their own shingles now. You can be a person, uh, you know, I know an Iranian guy who does unbelievable tech reviews. Uh, I know uh, a guy who's famous on YouTube for doing pancake art. Right. I mean, there are so many different permutations of this and you occupy this this particular niche where a producer can reach out to you for television or if you're going to get quoted in Fortune magazine, it's not like you need to be a part of an enormous publication or an enormous media conglomerate, a Viacom or Time Warner anymore. You know, absolutely, um, Robin. You know, I think the power today is in the content. And um, that's what we see with the new breed of celebrities and YouTubers. You know, they're not just talent. They're people who write their own stuff. They star in it. They're also media planners. They're business people. And that's why this new breed of celebrity is so interesting. Because if you want to be 
somebody who has a following. If you want to be a celebrity or somebody who's famous, you can actually be it now. You know, you don't have to be chosen by a studio or, you know, by an old school agent who would only select certain people with certain hair color and certain eye color and determine whether they were worthy or not. Today, we're seeing a whole redefinition of what desirability means and what celebrity means. And it's, it's exciting. Have you been paparazzied walking out of your flat in London? Yes, I, don't even know what a flat I have is. been paparazzied actually outside the Chateau Marmont. Really? Yes, <laughs> do, I was so, driving my car and suddenly I got a... Do any of these people recognize you? Like, do you, you see, you know, Lindsay Lohan or any of those characters out there? Oh my God, that's so funny because, you know, Lindsay was a part of um, my UN initiative. And I didn't realize, and she came, you mentioned you mentioned Lindsay, and she came up to me and she was like, hey, you know, we've met before, haven't we? And I was like, yeah, Lindsay, we have, because we, we've met each other quite a few times before, but I didn't realize she was part of the group. So yes, Lindsay in particular. Now, um, you know, I don't mean for this to be so mercenary and reductionist. As of, uh, I'm clocking your Twitter following. This week, it's 589,000 followers. My Lord, you you follow about 2,700 people. What is it like? Um, do you do you get unsolicited offers to hawk products? Do you get unsolicited influencer pitches? I mean, are people coming to you now that this book has exploded and that that your your voice is being echo chambered across various forms of media? You know, I think that people were coming prior to that. Like before my book came out, I was doing this work for about six years. But um, God, it's a little it's a little hard to answer. I think that people, you know, when when the right offers pre- present themselves, I think that you do take those seriously, don't you? I, I do want to know how you make money, how you earn a living outside of this advance. Presumably, you've already earned the advance. You got a good advance. You're you're making money. There, there are international versions of this that are going out. How does a person like you hustle? You you lecture at, at USC. Is that right? Lots of different ways. Yeah. So um, I well, you know, I write. I teach. I work with organizations. So those are sort of the three different areas. You know, I speak at a lot of organizations, so... Have you been solicited to give any bullshit-type TED Talks? <laughs> bullshit, like... No, I, I admire these lot. people. I got to tell you, Jitendra, I admire these people who have reached a certain set of stature. I mean, Tim Ferriss, I went to I went to college with that guy. He used to do these, these you know, these Asian exercises in the courtyard, and everybody thought the guy was such a con, such an imposter, but God bless him, you know, the four-hour work week, the four-hour body, all that junk, and he's an enormous star, he, he, he's multi-channel, he's getting offers left and right, and there are so many people in this world that, that get offers that just put on a lavalier and get paid several thousand dollars to tell us nothing, essentially, and I want you to tell wait, me how wait, I can get there. <laughs> wait, I, so... Firstly, I have a lot of respect for Tim Ferriss. I do too, and that's that's just my way of joshing him and getting him on the show as well. Because now he has, by the way, he has three handlers. He has three different handlers on the alumni circuit. I'm fascinated that somebody responded to my direct message on on Twitter and that you gave me time of day. Because if I had to go through CMA or one of these Wilshire Boulevard agencies or anything, you had to go through UTA, my agent. It you wouldn't have got that. You wouldn't have never got would it have happened. I mean, you, you, it's really charitable of you. It must be your pro bono day. <laughs> listen, Tim. Listen, I have absolute respect for Tim Ferriss, but I would say that there is a difference. Like you know, I think, and I, and I love what Tim Ferriss is doing. And you know, I do, I do create a lot of my own content from a research perspective too. So there is original content that is fact based that I, um, you know, that I have out. 
and I work with media partners to put out. So there is a lot of original thought leadership that is going out there. Close us out with thoughts on this president. I mean, is this is this hyper, hyper, hyper surreal to you? I remember him as a just an annoy. I, I I just remember when I was watching The Apprentice and he was at the top of his game. I was like, how quaint, you know, 1980s master of the universe, Donald Trump, New York City is not exactly my definition of a cutting edge, uh, you know, year 2000. Uh, mogul, like I would think a, a, a Steve Jobs was, or even somebody from Cisco or some of these other companies or these media moguls. And yet he parlayed that into what he is today. Uh, what happened? And, and in closing, what's the lesson for everybody else? Well, I was asked about as soon as Trump um, you know, won the election, I was um, interviewed on Sky in the UK. And they said to me, you know, the, the, the person said, you know, has the world gone mad? And I said, I don't think the world's gone mad. I think the world is just desiring authenticity. And whether that comes from a politician, a business person, an entertainer, a celebrity, whatever that may be, audiences today want to decide who they want to lead them. And if somebody has struck a nerve, that's a really good start. So I think that's what Trump did. You know, I think he broke the mold. He's forever redefined the game of politics, whether we like it or we don't. Um, he didn't fit into any particular molds um, that we had seen before. And I think that's why he won. And I think that's what you need to do. I mean, moving forward, I think people need to start redefining these traditional categories that we have in our minds. And I think a lot of people have been afraid to do that. They've tried to fit in to different categories. You know, if I want to be the next president, I have to go to Yale or I need to wear these clothes or I need to have that hairstyle. But I think today everything is up for grabs. Everything's up in the air. You know, Kanye 2020 was the first thing trending on Twitter after President Trump won. I guess crazier things have happened, right? Uh, what should yeah. I What should I do in closing with this show? I mean, doing it clothing optional. I'm 41 years old. There's only so much I can do to... to incite interest around the world at this point. Um, you know, I could take over a banana republic in Central who, America. Says who? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to get in your mind and and while I have you for this fleeting half hour or so, realize what I could do to kind of propel myself to the stratosphere that you occupy now. I don't think that there is a limit to what you can do. I honestly don't. I don't think, you know, I think we tend to limit ourselves based on, you know, what our age is or what our education is or what we are permitted to do. But I don't think you should be looking for permission from anyone else. You have to give that permission to yourself. And I think that's, those are the sorts of images, ideas, organizations that people are really resonating with today. People who are not looking for permission. Jatendra Sadev author of the New York Times bestseller, The Kim Kardashian Principle, uh, UN activist, jack of all trades, professor in Southern California on occasion. I cannot thank you enough for your valuable time. I, I think you could even bill me for something. What, what is 35 minutes of your time worth? I'm sure you have it calculated somewhere. It is invaluable and priceless to have spoken to you. Oh, gosh. I had so much fun. so honored. I'm, I'm so famous. Thank you, sir. Pleasure. Take care. Full disclosure, our engineer is John Valentine. Catch us and like us. No, love us. I just want to be loved on NPR One and on iTunes at linkfulldradio.com. Again, fulldradio.com on iTunes. Twitter at fulldradio. Facebook.com slash fulldradio. So, yeah, no plans just yet for a uh, sex tape, uh, at least not until I get another 200,000 followers. I'm Robin Farzad, back with you next week.